Yes, the atomic bomb is terrible. But more terrible still are the effects of atomic mutation. Hello, I'm Lawrence Wolsey. And I want to warn you about something that could happen. Something that does happen in my newest motion picture. Observe the ant. A miniature marvel of social cooperation and prodigious strength. But if a man and an ant were exposed to radiation simultaneously, the result would be terrible indeed. For the result would be... Mant. Okay, uh, so... Let's, let's, let's do a countdown like, together. I'll just like... And one, two... You gotta say it with me so we get the timing. Oh. Well, oh, should we do like a slate or something? <laughs> oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, like a, a clap your hands. Uh, well, no, we're not doing the image. Never mind. Sorry, it's pointless. Yeah, yeah. So we just do. <laughs> so we just go. We'll just count down and go one, two, two three. three. I feel like yeah, yeah. <laughs> Close enough. Hello, boys and girls. This is Andy. And with me today is not Dave. Dave is busy in the throes of marriage, arranging the dowry and and the lot, and therefore does not have much time to record episodes here. So uh, I took the opportunity to reach out to someone that is is a listener, a friend, and whom I hope it will be an excellent addition to the podcast and guest, uh, someone we've wanted on for a while, and I'm glad we finally had the time. Uh, My freshman year roommate... The lead singer of my ska band, my friend, my good friend, Brent. Brent, how are you doing today? Hi, Andy. It's a pleasure to be with you today on the cast. And I'm, I'm sorry, I know that you were mostly interested in talking to Dave, but um, he, he just couldn't make it. Um, he just didn't have time for you. These things happen, but some people have their priorities straight and some people uh, go prepare for their marriage. I, I, you know, what can you do? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, cast over marriage all day, every day, for me. That's why I'm I'm unmarried, I guess. Well, you're and you married. too, as well, right? Yeah, you you are uh, married to the cast. Married to the cast. Well, I'm I'm really happy to have you here. And just some background on Brent. Brent is what I would consider a film buff, uh, someone who's obsessed beyond just like watching movies, but about the culture of movies, and has long been. You know, someone who I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. A, a an art house theater boy. A you you volunteer your time collecting film. You work at a theater well, occasionally. Well, I, I haven't uh, in, in uh, most recent years, uh, but I did do a ten year stint, more or less, uh, doing different jobs within movie theaters. Uh, lately, I have not been, but I'm still collecting films and looking to do a screening series, or to revive my screening series, which was Lost and Found Film Club, which is all 16mm ephemeral educational films played in and around Los Angeles. And uh, you, you saw a, a, a show that we did in San Francisco at the Exploratorium. One night we did a scratch and sniff program of all commercials. And then the next day was a program for children that uh, you were kind enough to show up for, which uh, I, I, I was very grateful for your presence. But, and uh, I'm glad that the, the museum did not ask me to leave uh, as, an, as a middle-aged man uh, <laughs> in a theater full of children. It's true. I, I, uh, I appreciated you being there. And you were living with me. You mentioned uh, freshman year that was 
when I began working in a movie theater, the Michigan Theater in Ann Arbor, yes. Michigan. Uh, prior to that, uh, we had been in a ska band together. That is true. That is a, a deep, dark secret that is deep and dark no longer. I, I'm <laughs> trying to come to terms with my ska roots, as it were. And yeah. uh, no longer the case. We all, but. we all are. We all are coming to coming to terms with what it meant to be in a ska band as we as we reach the age of thirty here. Yes, uh, it, it was, you know, the great ska scare. Uh, yes, it, it, it passed it, over us. Is I kind of feel like third wave ska and all ska really is is pretty brunchy. Like hearing a real big fish song in a movie makes me makes me feel like brunch. Like ska music is a is a brunchy music, I would say. Yeah, because. Uh, You've got something else to Harmless. do with your evenings at this point. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And it, just the kind of a—it's a bright kind of harmless music without without any stakes. Nothing is really said in a ska song. I would say the stakes at least are in third low. wave ska. Yeah. Yes. So uh, and much like that, br- the stakes of brunch should be low, uh, despite the importance we place on brunch. But Brent, uh, you you brought a movie. Sorry, I cut you off on anything else on Scott. Oh final, no, final I, I was absolutely Scott. trying to move the conversation towards movies and brunch and anything but. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm I, I'm hoping John will insert a, uh, a a song from our from our band here to for the segue, uh, and maybe dreading it. Well, not, anyway, not if y- I can get cash to him first. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you better pay him more than I do. Uh, you brought a you brought a movie today, Brent. That uh, I, I'm I'm very thankful for. I had never heard of this film um, at all, and I think that you did a good job here in, in both picking a movie that is brunchy, which we'll get to, but also a movie that fits you very much. In that this this movie is a is a love letter to movies and going to the theater and like the history and the nostalgia that we might have for an era of cinema gone by so do you want to go ahead and, and walk us through the plot of this movie and and then tell us a little bit about why you chose this for brunch movies uh the movie is matinee from 1993 directed by joe dante and starring john goodman and a host of character actors who now john goodman is is well known for being the star of the uh, the abc sitcom the connors and uh, Pops Coming Racer, Pops Racer from uh, Speed Racer, the Wachowskis vehicle. Uh, oh, was he, was he in the Speed Racer? He was. Oh, I, I, I can't believe I haven't seen that because I do love the Wachowskis. I think you need to uh, stop what you're doing, you know, abort this recording session and uh, hop on down to your local video store to pick up a copy of Speed Racer. But uh, not as brunchy, not as brunchy. Yeah, it could but work, probably but the brunt. It, it might be the brunchiest Wachowski movie, or maybe Cloud Atlas. <laughs> I, have you seen Cloud Atlas? I absolutely have seen Cloud Atlas. Andy, like being as into movies as I am, That's, it was yeah, really sorry. hard for me to uh, pick one brunch movie. Uh, but that well, was on. We'll the have list. to have you back. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to have Cloud you back. Cloud Atlas was was up for consideration. Cloud Atlas is 
Uh, people love it, by the way, when we talk about not the movie that the episode is about. Yeah, that's that's um, one of the best se- tactics you, you can possibly do to, you know. It happens a lot more when we don't like the movie, but I, I want to let you continue uh, giving the plot because I actually did enjoy this movie. Awesome. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And uh, yeah, so Matinee, 1993, Joe Dante. This movie takes place in the year 1962 in Key West, Florida, where children are bracing for possible nuclear disaster during the Cuban Missile Crisis. But in the meantime, John Goodman, a traveling movie director, is in town promoting his latest venture, a movie called Mant, which is a portmanteau of man and ant. And it is exactly what it sounds like. Right, but it is not uh, like Ant-Man. It is not like Ant-Man. Uh, there is an Ant-Man. There's, there, are, there are giant ants, like in Ant-Man. But it's not a, a tiny person uh, like Ant-Man. Or, or a giant person. Or, or that Indian movie about the reincarnated housefly. It's not like... He's, he's not a tiny person. No. Anyway. He's a full-grown mant. Exactly. And uh, the children in this Key West town uh, are, are dealing with the Cuban Missile Crisis, with young love, with growing up, and with how to figure out uh, a, a way to see this horror movie that everyone seems to be interested in. Yeah, it seems like the plot was kind of moving towards like, oh man, are like the parents going to let them see this? And then it turns out that it was no problem and every single kid that was in the movie was there. Like, it, it, like it, the plot was kind of like, oh man, uh, will they see it? Won't they see it? Is this going to be, a, is the plot going to be like they have to sneak out to see this movie? And then it turns out that no problem, they all just go and see this horrific uh, Mant movie. The stakes are very high and very low at the same time. <laughs> yes, yes. It's like Cuban Missile Crisis is going on in the background and then... Will these kids see a a horror movie in the afternoon? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah, I really did appreciate that about it. Uh, Just kind of the juxtaposition of these things. And I realize it it was almost took itself a little more. This movie definitely took itself more seriously than it should have, because I'm sure that that specter of the Cuban Missile Crisis was placed into the movie to be like the, oh, well, this is what horror movies kind of save us from. This is the... You know, this is this is the real horror going out there, and then the fake horror here that kind of makes you okay with that. And there was a lot going on in this movie for what could have just been a really simple, silly, short movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's unusual to have uh, something like the Cuban Missile Crisis explained. And by, by the way, like. Uh if you're watching this movie, it maybe bears looking up a little bit of information about the Cuban Missile Crisis, just for the background, but uh, considering yes. this is a movie where children explain uh, the, the the potential for a nuclear holocaust to one another, it's a pretty light, breezy movie. Yeah, yeah indeed. It'd be kind of like if like the movie The Mighty Ducks was happening, but also there was like a threat of thermonuclear war just in the background that they like the like the little casual conversations in between hockey scenes was like oh good practice today well hope the world is still here tomorrow <laughs> right that's kind of how it right. felt well um yeah i i think in terms of plot you know there's some tension around the the father figure who is absent part of the naval blockades that's supposed to be preventing 
Russian missiles from coming to Cuba, and it's not really exactly resolved whether he comes back or not. You just see a helicopter. So, you know, that's one source of tension, and the act of showing the movie becomes a big source of tension in the plot. But uh, things eventually work out. Yes. And then one other piece of the plot that you, you that we didn't talk about is that one of the one of the characters who is maybe like the third or fourth main character, I don't know, like a friend of the main character yes, boy. Yes, this is something uh, I, I think <laughs> Barry's talking about. Yeah, so he has a crush on a girl in school, as one does when you are in middle school. High school? Yeah, they, they, they're definitely acting like middle school kids in a junior high kind of situation. Yes, so he has a crush on a girl. Turns out this girl has a history with an older man, an older man boy, really. Right. And and so the older man boy shows up, conveniently set to my boyfriend's back and there's going to be trouble. <laughs> Which is like, like, do we have any songs that literally describe what's happening right now? And so he's there and, and kind of roughs up the middle schooler and says, stay away from my young, but post-pubescent girl, I think. Mid-pubescent girl? Yeah, uh, it, it seems like, you know, most of the kids in this movie are age, you know, around 13. But yes. this one guy, the, the inevitable early 90s greaser bully, uh, yeah. seems to be he looks at straight least... out of Greece. Right, he's, he's clearly 12 years older than everybody. And, you know, sort of when, when these movies get the age wrong and all the teenagers are clearly in their early 20s, that's one thing. But when most of the kids are about 12, 13, and there's one who's double the age, it's really jarring to see them, uh, you know, in competition for the same girl, who, Andy, I must point out, was also the voice of Roxanne in the Goofy movie. Oh, man. She does kind of have a Roxanne vibe, like the way she looked. Yeah, absolutely. Roxanne was, was hot, by the way. Yeah, well, <laughs> the real girls in this movie that's not a cartoon. We, you haven't heard the recent lore with this podcast, but on a recent episode that we recorded, I came out as a furry. So in the, in, in the lore of, the, in the lore of uh, brunch movies, I'm a furry. Well, we, uh, yeah. Takes so, all so kinds. Then, yeah. I mean, <laughs> actually, reproductively speaking, you know, maybe not. But yeah, uh, I'll let you have your fun. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're eating. I got just subconsciously eating some steamed carrots here. Yeah, yeah. Is that a furry thing? Yeah, rabbits. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. We're not on mic or anything. That's that's a great choice. It's really brunch. It's really brunch. Yep, because I always eat steamed carrots for brunch. I'm sure everybody's eating while they're listening too. <laughs> they hope they are. Anyway, yeah, so so the, the the this movie I felt was succeeded despite having most of the main actors be children. Like the children did not take me out of the movie at all. Like I thought they were appropriately age cast. It wasn't like twenty five year olds playing you know seventeen year olds like happened in so many teen movies. Right. I mean, this was a movie about middle schoolers, and I, I felt like the kids did a good job acting. Yeah, uh, I noticed there was one kid who was also from Pete and Pete, and uh, uh, then, uh, what, Robert Picardo from uh, Star Trek Voyager was also on Wonder Years, so it definitely has that whole, like, 60s in the 90s uh, vibe going through it. 
Yes, and also I believe that the the romantic interest for the main character. What are the names of the characters, by the way? I don't. Well, uh, the uh, the 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 main children are Jean and Sandra. Uh, Lor- Jean, yes. Lawrence Wolsey is the giant uh, Goodman character. Yes, I have I have Lawrence Wolsey written down because I thought that name was great, but I forgot to write down Jean. But yeah, yeah totally. so Jean's Jean's romantic interest, I believe, is played by uh, the same actress who plays the daughter of Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire, exactly. <laughs> she did both so, movies the same year. Oh man, yeah, because I was like, "That's her, isn't it?" And then I was like, "There's no way this movie was made in 1990." Uh, but it turns out it was. Yeah, it came out uh, earlier in the year. Mrs. Doubtfire came out later in the year. Uh, inaugural. What Brunch a year! Movie. What a year for that girl. It looks like she grew up a little bit between the movies, though. She definitely looks younger in this movie to mm, me. Mm. But I, I don't know. That could just be. Yeah, it's been a while since I saw Mrs. Doubtfire. That could just be but, the, the, the using different lenses. But uh, and she does a, a cool job with this movie being uh, definitely from a perspective of white privilege in Florida, where it's kind of okay for uh, atomic bomb to be a, a part of the plot of this movie. It's really a good thing that there is an opposing voice and an alternate viewpoint provided who <laughs> she, she has she has the task of making uh segregation and uh nuclear disarmament like fun things that you want to like root for in the course of this movie yeah before i noticed it was the uh it was the daughter of doubtfire i i just wrote down woke girl yeah, like she they're doing the a they're girl. doing a nuclear they're they're doing a nuclear drill, and woke girl is being like dragged kicking and screaming by a teacher, being like, "This is useless. The nuclear war is gonna destroy us all. There's no point in covering your neck." No, I'm not gonna do this. We're not hiding this from you, young lady. This is for your protection. Yes, but it isn't any protection. It doesn't do any good. Keep your heads down. If you think it's gonna help you to put your hands behind your neck when the bomb falls. I mean, you had to do that too, right? You had to go out in the hall and put hands over your your head and everything? I I remember having to do that as a child. I feel like you're right. I feel like I did maybe once or twice for some drill. They didn't call it a nuclear drill. No. You're right. Even in the 90s, we were doing it. Well, I guess we were still fresh off the... uh, you know, I guess this is the original Russia meddling, trying to get missiles right. into I mean, Cuba. Yes. Um, yeah. And like the United States had missiles elsewhere and blah, blah, blah. But at, at, the, at the time, um, you know, that this movie came out, uh, you know, Saddam Hussein was in the news. All of that was going on. So there were parallels, uh, you know, cultural, yes. culturally at the time for people to draw upon uh, that were there. And the knowledge of Vietnam taking place after this. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that's the, the context for, for these events. But, uh, you know, that's the serious stuff. We're here to say whether it... Talking has, about the whimsical yeah, stuff. Yeah, we're, we're talking about whether or not this movie goes well with French toast. We're, we're not going to get too heavy here. Y- yes. Uh, so Woke Girl was great. And yeah, her, her speech on the trials and tribulations of minorities and, and, the, and really, really just a pre-woke era, uh, you know, in the 60s, uh, talking about, you know, how basically talking about white privilege without giving it that name. So, uh, shout out to Woke Girl. Um, I enjoyed you in this movie and in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire. What did they do to you? Detention. Wow. Put Gandhi away for a year. Now, one thing I, that we 
one thing that was really cool and that I'd like you to speak on, because I believe that you are an expert on this, is that part of the movie-going experience to Mant was all of these kind of corny effects going on in the theater, including a man dressed as Mant running around in the theater, electric buzzers built into the seats, yeah. a bass-driven speaker rumble system to make it seem as if the theater was falling down, um, all of these kind of, you know... I remember hearing about smell-o-vision or, you know, 3D glasses and all these gimmicks that were added to movies to kind of get people excited. And this movie, you know, is a movie about a movie doing these things. But most of these things are were actually existed in some in some form during these this early era of matinee horror. So could you just give us a, a, a quick history lesson on, yeah, on that, uh, that era of film? Absolutely. Uh, so... Generally speaking, the movie Mant is more the type of movie that was coming out in, like, 54, 57, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, like, for reference. 54, 57, but not 55 or 56. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. But, uh, you know, like... The good years, 54, 57. <laughs> right, so, so, like, you know, to put this movie in is sort of like a movie context of other things that were out, um, you know, this takes place, you know, the events of the movie take place like a year and a half before like Dr. Strangelove came out. A lot of the material from the documentary Atomic Cafe, uh, you know, about the atomic era, you know, is very much from this time. But by 1962, horror movies had become a little bit more psychological, you know, uh, mm -hmm. with the exception of maybe The Birds, which came out the same year, 1962. So Hitchcock okay. hadn't totally, you know, gone that way. Anyway, the and gimmicks Hitchcock in the is movie... Ma is, is in this movie, it just like, in the in the universe of this movie, Alfred Hitchcock is real. Yeah, yeah, I, I believe so. Because, you know, there's so many movie posters and movie references embedded in this movie that you can, yes. you know, take it at face value or you can dig deep into it. The Lawrence Woolsey character... Uh, Joe Dante has said was a an amalgam of William Castle, uh, who did uh, uh, the movies Thirteen Ghosts, uh, where people had ghost viewers. Uh, they were sort of like a red and blue 3D style things where you could choose to see or not see the ghosts, depending on how scared you wanted to be. Um, nice. He did The Tingler, which was a movie about a little insect thing where seats had buzzers, uh, so you'd get tingled when the tingler gets loose in the theater, so to speak. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. Hello, I'm Lawrence Woolsey. The feeling at this atomic test site is an anxious one. But then, you're about to see for yourselves what I mean. Uh, My uh, movie... Mr. Sardonicus, audiences were given the choice to whether the, the evil main character uh, you know, is punished for his crimes or not, but it was a false choice because everybody always wants to punish the guy, uh, so there, there is yes. no other ending. And um, is that, is, Now, is that a movie that has midnight screenings now where they will play both endings or anything? Like, are well, these now in like the lexicon of... Some of them, yeah. Like, uh, the Tingler sometimes plays, um, you, you know, getting the seats wired and everything is a bit of a chore. I saw at the Detroit Institute of Arts around uh, 2005, 
a double feature of 13 Ghosts, the one with the viewer, and uh, one called Homicidal, which is sort of a psycho ripoff, which has a fright break, where before the movie ends, uh, the audience is given an opportunity to leave because it's too scary. So, so there's like a countdown clock before they reveal the big ending. I feel like that should be in more movies, um, or just like in bad movies. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a movie that I would have would have liked an option to, like to politely leave. Uh, the the whole um, medical thing uh, of having a doctor on hand comes from not a horror movie, but like an informational. Uh, I think it's a sex ed film or something like that that came out mm-hmm. around the time. Um, and when he talks about the plastic skeleton, that was the William Castle gimmick from. Uh, ha- House on Haunted Hill uh, had that had Ooh, a plastic ori- skeleton. Yeah, it was called Emerjo. Was the, was the technique? When are we gonna get Broncho Vision? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> when 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 will we be flinging brunch at the audience lined up to see a, a classic brunch movie? Some of the other directors uh, th- that it was based on were. Um, it was uh, uh, Ray Dennis Steckler who did a movie called The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies, which is a really good title. <laughs> who is the woman branded in birth wearing the ward of horror? Do as Madame Estrella said. The world's first monster musical. The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed Up Zombies. And, uh, Wild Guitar, which is just a, like an MST3K classic vanity picture for like a young teenage rocker. Um, Jack Arnold was one of the inspirations. He did uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon. And uh, Roger Corman, definitely, this movie is sort of in... The Corman verse. Uh, there are posters for a bunch of Roger Corman movies. He did uh, like uh, Creature from the Haunted Sea, Man with the X-ray Eyes, the original Little Shop of Horrors, and Dick Miller, one of the two thug, like hipster thug guys in the movie, was yes. in all those Roger Corman movies, including uh, uh, Tales of Terror, which was one of the posters in the theater. With uh, and the other guy who he's the the other hipster thug is John Sayles, who directed Brother from Another Planet. So there's just tons of movie references in this thing. All right. Well, I really appreciate you giving us this deep history lesson. You're going a lot deeper on film than we almost ever do in brunch movies. I'm sorry. No, you don't have to be sorry, because this actually is a perfect segue into Hot Takes, Hot Cakes. I need your arms around me. I need to feel your touch. reason that it's a perfect segue is uh, fits in with my hot take for this movie and I'll, so i'll just give you the take and then we'll then we'll talk about it which is this is a great movie that is made for almost no one that is to say <laughs> this this like who is the audience for this movie i can't imagine like children enjoying it or adults or like i i don't know who that like it's a pg movie like i don't know like, I couldn't imagine going with my family to go see this movie. But I, what I can't imagine is that people like yourself and other cinephiles that have this, that have kind of, I, I mean, maybe fetishize isn't the right word, but in some ways fetishize this like era of cinema with all these corny things and that have this encyclopedic history of all these classic horror movies in their heads. I feel like that, like this movie was written, directed, and made by that type of person for that type of person only. But the result was actually a really good movie 
Yeah. So I, I, that, that's I'm really pleased you enjoyed it, Andy, because uh, I didn't see this movie in the theater when it came out. It came out in early... Yeah, you early, would have been seven. Early 93... Um, so this would have been when Aladdin was in theaters. Aladdin would have been in theaters for like less than a month and there's no way anybody was going to see. It it was just like a few good men and Aladdin dominating the box office. And then later that summer, Jurassic Park came out just showing a total paradigm shift in what we expected from like a, a family monster movie. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I mean. It's just like this movie feels like it could have been. It feels like a movie that was made in in like the seventies or, or early eighties when movies and blockbuster movies and things hadn't really been figured out yet. Yeah, it was the same studio as Jurassic Park. Even it was started as like an independent production. The guy had just made Gremlins two, which you yes. know, like you know, the deal with Gremlins two and like. I, I mean, don't. Well, there's even like a Key and Peele sketch like making fun of Gremlins two. For being bad. Is it is that what the one That's it? I don't even care anymore. We got the holster in this bitch, so it's done. I don't have any more time. So let me just recap right now. It's Brainy Gremlin, Spider Gremlin, Bat Gremlin, Lady Gremlin, Google Eye Gremlin, Electricity Gremlin, Hulk Hogan's gonna be in the picture. I'm gonna throw in a gremlin myself. Vegetable gremlin, just write it up. I'm having so Why much not? fun, thank you. It's all gonna be in the actual film. Now I gotta go put some cowboys in Back to the Future 3. Sayonara, y'all. Oops! It's the one where they're in an office building, and in a lot of ways, it's better than the first one. Uh, you know, it, it's like a corporate commentary in the form of a Gremlins I movie. S- <laughs> I think I've seen it. Yeah, I think I have seen it. Yeah. Anyway, anyway um, y- you know, it, it, it came out at a time when he was able to get funding, but the, the people who were paying for this movie to be made, basically, uh, didn't have any money, and Universal had lent some money, so they were just like, oh, fine, we'll pay for the rest of this thing to get finished, but we'll dump it. It can't have been, yeah. it can't have been that expensive of a movie. Well, they didn't promote like, it, you know. They, yeah. they shot it, like, in Florida, Universal Studios, where they own the space, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. It's just, like, this is a movie that could have come off as, like, this pretentious kind of like BS movie that took itself too seriously and despite kind of all of this weird juxtaposition that it has and there's way too much going on for such a simple movie it really succeeds in spite of itself so that's where I stand that great movie that no one will ever want to watch yeah I I, I, I think that's a pretty astute assessment uh, having like caught it originally on cable and then I, I did see it in a theater recently with Joe Dante the director present and oh, wow. uh, he, he was. What's he up to these days? Mant two. <laughs> I, I would love to see a Mant two. I, I think actually, you know, though we didn't really talk about this, and you know, he seemed a little disappointed by the reception of the movie, but it, it was clearly dear to him. I think though, if it if it was re released into theaters, the the ideal way to be would to do it would be to uh, make it like a four D situation where there's like yeah. uh, where the seats are tingled and there's like mist in your face and smells <laughs> and a guy in an no. ant suit running yeah. around i have seen movies in mx4d and it is as corny as the scene like i saw like you know huge budget like i've seen a recent star wars movie in, in mx4d with the rumble seats and the mist and the smells and all this all this bullshit and it is it, it is so funny to experience a movie this way and it, it is so similar to the extremes and gimmicks that that are depicted in this film. So it is funny that that has come back, that you can now pay $40 to see a movie 
I saw Valerian that way. Right, right. And have it kind of like ruined for you because your seat is shaking and like awful smells are being sprayed when bombs go off. And there's literal like smoke coming up in front of the screen, like obscuring your view of the film. Plus, uh, if it's if it's a Cinemark, they call it D-Box, which I think is just the worst name for any, any technology. Yes, yeah, D-Box. I remember my friend in California trying to get me to, like, drive an hour to go see something like some Christopher Nolan movie in D-Box, and me just absolutely refusing. Yeah, exactly. No, I am not driving to San Jose to see a movie in D-Box. We can just go see it in San Francisco, right. sans D-Box. So, uh, yeah, so, getting so back, that, that's my hot take, yeah. My hot take is that this is the most meta not just 90s, but most meta kids movie ever that I can think of. Sure. Uh, you know, it's not like a symbiopsychotaxoplasm, uh, which is totally a brunch movie. Where You know, it's like a, a, a movie about uh, a student That's film mindful. being made in a, in a park. So it's like kind of a picnic movie, really. Yeah. But anyway. Well, anytime there's a, there's a movie within a movie, play within a play, that gets your... What, what's the Jack Handy quote? The If you find yourself in a theater... And you realize that it is a play within a play. Sit back and hold on for the ride of your life, or something like that. Like, yes, that's that's, that's one of uh, that's one of my favorite uh, Jack Handy jokes. A classic SNL bit. But uh, this movie doesn't just have a movie within a movie. There's also a trailer for the movie within a movie in, within the movie, and there's a second yes. movie. My absolute one of my favorite parts of this movie is kind of a. a a throwaway oh, the shopping cart? Yes, they're just completely... Is that, is, is that, well, that's your favorite part? Is that your hot cake? I think it might have to be, because... Okay, well, well I'll give you two hot cakes, in ca- just in case. I, I see that you have a, 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 you've li- written a literal novel of notes on this movie. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I can't help it, Andy. It's a fanatical compulsion to... No, that's, that's, that's why it's great. Well, we're going to have to have you back, and hopefully Dave will be present. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. Uh, D- Dave always does an amazing job. You guys have a great thing going. And uh, Thank you. And uh, well, We appreciate that. We love our, our listeners and our friends. And I have to say, uh, John has been doing an amazing job editing. He's such a smart, charitable, wonderful man to undertake this. And uh, <laughs> I, I really just hats off to John uh, for, for John, cleaning yeah. this up. Uh, people yeah. have no idea what's being cut out. <laughs> not much <laughs> but we yes we um, produce enough content to, to get an episode together so there's not much cut yeah uh, sh- should we move on to hot cakes yes yes please why don't you why don't you go first since you uh, you kind of had one on the tip of your tongue there yeah the straight up Disney parody the shook up shopping cart starring Naomi Watts <laughs> oh I knew I recognized her yes, yeah Naomi Watts Talking Great. to an anthropomorphic shopping cart. My favorite line in the movie is when the shopping cart rolls over to Naomi Watts. She says, Uncle Cedric? We have no time to lose, Mr. Adams. We have to find Uncle Cedric before he gets in any more trouble. Well, what does Uncle Cedric look like? Well, he's a shopping cart, you know, chromium finish, and his right front wheel, it's sort of wobbly. A shopping cart? Yes. Well, of course he wasn't always a shopping cart. You see, he had a spell put on him. And it's all my fault, really, because... All right, stick him up, both of you. Give me his voice. Uh. Hey. Oh, 
See? He likes you. Can we go home yet? <laughs> Implying this whole greater movie where, uh, like, a stuffy old uncle has been transformed somehow into a shopping cart and has to stop a bank robbery. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that scene is amazing. Um, Almost all of my notes that I've taken could be hot hot cakes, so it was hard to to narrow it down. But upon reviewing them today, uh, I think my hot cake is... The, the main character, Gene, and his younger brother, who he's kind of a ward over since his father is off uh, fighting the, uh, the Soviets. <laughs> um, they, so they come home from seeing, I believe that movie, right? They come home from the first matinee in the beginning, and the mom is like, wow, where were you? And she opens the fridge and immediately hands the small boy a, a roll of bologna. <laughs> like it's like a slice of bologna roll. Like, like here you go. Like, like okay, you're home. Here's your bologna. Go watch TV. And then takes out a celery stalk and smacks Gene with a celery stalk. So there's a, you know, brunch movies we love when there's food play, and especially when food isn't being wasted but used for good use. And and it's just really funny to see, like, the mom in the apron uh, kind of caring for these these children in, in a very 60s way, which is bologna roll and celery stick. Totally. There are two uh, food scenes, one where a school teacher is lecturing everybody on the importance of eating yes. th- uh, red meat constantly. And then three, there's three servings of red meat per day. Now in the morning, you can get your bacon, very brunchy. And at lunch, you can have something like, a, you know, yeah, and it's 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 great. There's also I, was a, that actually the knowledge that was dropped back then? Like, I when mean, did they specifically say red meat? I mean, obviously, they were like, you need to eat lots of meat and drink meat, lots of milk. Group, you want to make sure you have three servings a day to satisfy this food group. Breakfast, you're going to have bacon, sausage, something of this nature. Lunch, a hamburger, pork sandwich, something like this. And then dinner. This is pre-food pyramid in the yeah. 60s. Yeah. Um, what, what a disaster that was. There's also a grocery store scene in the movie, which I, I'm, I don't know why I just totally fetishize anytime there's a, a fake looking grocery store in any movie. I just melt. Yeah. Yeah. That scene was great. The, the, the people are of, of Key West, Florida are panicking um, during the Cuban miss- missile crisis and trying to stock up on their shredded wheat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, Very that, crunchy. that, that Whoever got cast as that store manager, he's like, oh, man, this is the part of a lifetime. I get to, like, do this, do this like, really short monologue on there's no more shredded wheat left in the entire state of Florida. Neither of you get. Yeah, yeah, that was that was pretty great. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, I think we did, we did a good job. I, other other honorable mentions, I think, were the extremely short tie that John Goodman wears on his enormous frame. Awesome tie. Yeah, he looks like a man that's eaten one or two brunches each day for the last couple of years. And uh, also, uh, just the length of his cigar it was hilarious to me. He has like a foot-long cigar that he's smoking in every single scene of the movie. I've never seen a cigar that long. Are cigars that long? Was this like in, a, in an era when we were still importing cigars from Cuba? Was the Cuban Missile Crisis the start of the ban on Cuban cigars? Well, Andy, the information I have on the cigar distribution during the first... No, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no like, but, but have you seen a cigar that big? I, I, I don't really see a lot of cigars, period. Yeah, He makes a meal out of every scene, and he definitely plays with the cigar. With, there's a lot of business with it. Absolutely. Yes. Um, okay, well, that's uh, that's been Hot Takes, Hot Cakes.
let's let's talk about the brunchiness of this movie. And I'll just I'll just start by saying like the, the movie opens with a like old film of a nuclear explosion and then immediately cuts to this kind of like sunset tone kids you know walking along the water and the color tone just immediately stream brunch to me like it looked like i could put that that scene on a plate and eat it for brunch it's like these kind of brown warm tones that, that exactly what i expect on like a plate of bacon and pancakes and and french to- like it looked like it looked like a slice of french toast like the color um, and, and so in that sense, this movie is this movie really fits in with kind of these almost kind of like grainy 80s to early 90s films that really kind of nail that brunch feeling. And so right away, I was like, OK, I can I can see why this is brunchy. Now, the things that I guess would take away from the brunchiness are, well, it's about horror movies, but it's about corny horror movies. There's nothing that's really like gross in this in this movie. So th- that's good. Uh, I guess the threat of nuclear annihilation is not so brunchy. Uh, it's not something that I really want to have lingering in the background as I enjoy uh, deviled eggs. No, not deviled eggs. Uh, eggs Benedict. <laughs> sure, sure. But uh, I mean, Spe- speaking of deviled eggs, uh, sorry to. Uh, I, I was recently in Canada, and I went to a restaurant that served uh, deviled eggs with uh, foie gras mixed into the the egg paste, and it was really good. And like so good that I was like, why the hell did you serve this to me? Because now all deviled eggs are ruined. The problem with like putting like foie gras and truffles and everything is like, how could anything ever taste as good as as this anymore? Like, why why are you gonna go and ruin deviled eggs for me? Brent? That's, that's a it's <laughs> a really good point, Andy. I I I, uh, I don't really have a strong stance on the eggs, but the the truffle fries, I think. Are, are sort of a, either everybody in the room needs to be eating those or nobody in the room needs to be eating those. Yes. It's a yeah. repulsive smell if you're not partaking. Yeah. You know, keep keep truffles out of my brunch. That's all I got to say. Uh, yeah. As far as the brunchiness of this movie is concerned, I, yeah, that was one concern is like, oh, the, the whole thing's about giant ants. You know, I also thought about, a, you know, another early 90s family film honey i shrunk the kids has a lot of ants and things like that in it which you know the sort of being outdoors during the daytime it's afternoon very brunchy giant insects less so yeah yeah honey i shrunk the kids i feel like could be a brunch movie yeah there is a uh, there is a breakfast scene right like um yeah, yeah. Well, let's say uh, they don't eat do uh, toxic waste. Uh, burnt <laughs> toast is equated to, you know. Anyway. Yes. There's a bit, as we found, is a trend with all movies from this era. There's a bit of rapiness in it, in that the 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 older boyfriend of the of the young girl, uh, you know, kind of like uses a knife to kidnap her and like take her away. Also, she talks about him helping to discover her what it's like to be a woman. And her bodily desires. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, th- that felt a little weird. Uh, also, there seems to be a bit of a, a bygone era of the, in the relationship with uh, the the lead actress and the director John Goodman. There's kind of a she kind of yeah they're not married. Disgust. Yeah, they're not yeah. married, but they're on the road together. I I think that's kind of a cute, fun idea. Everyone wants to imagine that they're like going in a classic car from town to town, playing bug movies with you know some. Uh, she, she was in a uh, raging bull actually. Uh, okay. Um, like that's where I recognized her from anyway, but, uh, yeah, like the, that's a great. fun idea. Uh, but you know, in practice, the movie's not really passing the Bechdel test or anything like that. 
Right. And also knowing what we know about movie directors now. Yeah. Also not I, so I, cool. It's like, it's like kind of hard to watch this kind of, you know, somewhat toxic male. Although, I mean, he's very charming in this and is it, it mostly a nice person. But Yeah. John Goodman in this movie, like, really didn't get enough credit. He's just super perfect in this role of, like, yeah. a sleazebag director who's got a heart of gold and all the kids love him. You know, it's totally believable. Right. But he does also, you know, make his girlfriend dress up as a sexy nurse and get carried away by a man in an ant costume for yeah. <laughs> movie effect. Okay, so, you know, uh, we were talking about the, the, the Harvey, the, the delinquent poet. Who's, Harvey, yes. Well, yeah, like, when, you know, how often is the poet really the worst guy in town? Uh, and also, well, yeah. he has to do all the dangerous, threatening, fun, crazy work of the actual presentation, where they've got they've got like two thirty-five millimeter projectors, a sound system. The ending implies that there are like six sixteen millimeter projectors going to to do some crazy special effect, and then everything yeah. gets pinned on this kid, even though it's totally not all his fault. But he does well, pull a knife does on somebody, try to steal a wallet, yeah, exactly, pull a knife, steal a car, crash the car, the shortest car chase scene in any movie that i can think <laughs> yeah. of which i that makes me happy Speeds. as well <laughs> yeah yeah that was really nice especially uh we, we we recently did blues brothers uh for for this cast the longest and, uh, yeah. yeah this is some of the most insane and unnecessary car crashes in, in the history of films to this date like oh yeah i think blues brothers has more of a car fatality count than the highway scene from the matrix 2 even yeah uh, they john landis really went nuts silly. on that thing yeah um yeah, so so I, I think this movie is is certified brunchy. I, I really think it is. There's there's not really enough to take away from it, and I, I could definitely see digging into some pancakes and, and watching this and and thinking back to an era when pancakes were you know when gluten was still okay. Yeah, it's 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 a gluten friendly option as far as brunch. I also love. Uh, we talked about woke girl. And uh, her parents being like the town hippies was really funny. Yes, totally. she calls them by her, their first names, and and like the way that they interact with the the quote unquote protesters. Yeah, the, the, of, they're like of the oh, film, oh, American like, movies. At one point, right. like and, I, I and guess they would have been seeing eight and a can't half. Can't we just let the kids understand for themselves whether this is a movie that they feel good about? You know, the, <laughs> like like they were these they were really corny, over the top. And they have to give them some space. Hippie parents, you know. <laughs> Yeah, it was real. That was really funny to me. Uh, like, there's uh, there's so many things in this movie that I feel like could be hotcakes. Uh, the the Navy kid, the kid who's like really proud to be a Navy son and thinks he's really cool for knowing things about the Navy, and he really made me laugh. Yes, and like he reminded me of Bandorks, whose parents were cops, that I experienced uh, in uh, in our high school. Oh God, yes. Like he he was exactly that kind of thing. Like, well, my dad's a cop, and like I'm a junior cop, and like what I'm going to say is uh, don't smoke weed because it's a. Uh, you also kind of feel for that kid because it's clear that he has no real friends. Yeah, and everyone hates him, so that was also funny. Uh, yeah, uh, one one uh, thing. Speaking to like the larger ideas in this movie uh, that I, I thought about, not when I first watched it, but after the fact is. The, the whole bomb shelter idea and the the movie going experience th this movie uh seems to sort of use the bomb shelter as a metaphor for like preserving the movie going experience and that this movie seems really intent on accomplishing when i saw it with joe dante like the thing that he complained about was that it was in a theater that like didn't have popcorn and soda and everything. Like it was clear that he was bummed that there weren't like children throwing yeah. popcorn at one another. That's how he wants this to be seen. 
Yeah, yeah. That's there was so much subtext to this movie, and that goes back to my I think hot take, which is this: this is a movie like by this guy for this guy for people like him that are like, give me my jujubes, you know, give me my popcorn, and like this is the way you know. It's almost like uh, like uh, Greg Turkington's character in On Cinema, where you know, popcorn class like this. This is like the literal definition of a popcorn classic. Sure. And like a tribute to those, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think it's better than other movies Joe Dante made after this, like Small Soldiers. You know, not that, not not a very good oh, movie. Did he make that? He did. Oh man, Small Soldiers. That's a. <laughs> that's not not a very good. Movie. <laughs> David Cross saying, Einstein over here thought it'd be a good idea to give military technology into toys. You know, like that. Like there's there's so many hilarious things in that. Yeah, so uh, I, yes, I think this small movie. Soldiers. This you know, looking at the Joe Dante filmography this movie stands out as being way better than people realized when it came out yeah i I went and uh you know unlike dave i actually read and uh i I, uh and a hobby that i have is actually reading uh roger ebert uh reviews of movies and then i also like to go on youtube and watch old episodes of uh cisco or roger roger and ebert or not roger and ebert what is it (laughs) cisco and ebert at the movies uh where where they kind of like debate things also, I, I really love to watch uh, Siskel and Ebert clips of them being on David Letterman. What did Siskel think of this movie? Do you know? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't see the episode where they reviewed this. I just read uh, Ebert's review, and he gave it three and a half out of four stars, which is pretty high praise. I, I think Ebert's exactly gave, he, the type of person that this movie was made for, Andy. Like, when we say, like, it exactly, wasn't made for yeah. anybody, it's like, well, it wasn't made... With uh, a wide audience in mind, it's it's made for Roger Ebert. Is who it's made yeah, for? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, he gave this three and a half stars, whereas Jurassic Park only got no. three stars. I cut my elbow. That looks terrible. Matinee is hard to describe unless you understand that somehow all of these different pieces fit together into a movie that is sometimes very funny and always has a genuine charm. Goodman is good as the horror filmmaker because he goes easy on the sleaze and somehow communicates how much this character really loves making those awful movies. Matinee sounds unlikely, but it works wonderfully well. Yeah, and that's, I really that's enjoy amazing when we, think, when we think about that. That's nuts. Yeah, because even though, even though I enjoyed this movie a lot... And I've seen Jurassic Park maybe 30 times. Yeah, it's no Jurassic Park. Recently. <laughs> I'm still going to say I would rather watch Jurassic Park right now. That, that's any, totally Any fair. day of the week. Yeah. Well, uh, we've, we've kind of been going through a lot of noticings here, uh, but uh, just a final chance. Any, any other noticings? Um, the speech that John Goodman gives to the ushers, I think, is something worth excerpting and uh, playing a clip of having worked in a movie theater and been John? given, been given, yeah, uh, been given pep talks by management of how to, you know, really make the movie going experience special. I think that speech is excellent, especially because he ends with, uh, you know, the audience is really happy and they say, "Can we see it again?" And the answer is no. We clear between shows. But I want all of you to look at the faces out here during this picture. There's going to be room in their heads for only one thought. Don't let it get me. They know we can't hurt them, but they're still going to be scared half to death. And all of you, when you thread the projector, when you tear the tickets, when you sell the jujubes, you're all a part of it. And just when it gets the worst, when they're sitting there and their hearts are going like little trapped animals out here in the dark. 
we save them. And they say, hey, it's all right. Thank God. Hey, can I see that again? P.S. No, they can't. We clear between shows. Okay, well, uh, let's move on to our final segment here, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Uh, brunch brunch pairings. And uh, do you want to start as the guest, or do you want uh, do you want me to kind of lead it in to kind of show you how how we flow this? Chef, yeah, chef's choice, I think. Chef's choice. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and um, so I, I'm going to steal this. Uh, I'm stealing this brunch pairing uh, from the film Mant, and uh, they're from, from the the film within a film Mant. Uh, in which the 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 Mant character, who is still able to speak like a human despite his head turning into an ant head and his arms turning into ant arms, uh, says something like he's kind of getting starting to get angrier with his condition, and he's like, "I'm sick and tired of all these crumbs." Crumbs? How long can I exist on crumbs? I'm hungry. Uh, implying that now that he's become an ant, he can only eat crumbs, which is what ants eat apparently. Uh, so it, I'm gonna it start. doesn't follow that he'd look for something larger that looks like a crumb. It has to be actual. Yeah, like you could eat cocoa puffs, you know, like like slightly larger crumb or like a loaf of bread, perhaps, uh, which, you know, so that that made me laugh. Uh, so I'm going to start you off with a pile of crumbs. And then later in the in the film, uh, when Mant has become a gi- not even a mant anymore, just a giant ant. He totally loses his human form and grows large. He's climbing. Uh, he's climbing a, a building, and his wife is is standing there. And the police officer's like, "What do we call this thing?" She's like, "His name is Bill," and 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 so he shouts out to the giant ant, "Bill, come down from there. We have sugar." And someone in the background kind of holds up and dangles a bag of sugar. So I'm gonna say a pile of crumbs and a pile of sugar next to it, and then. Uh, so once you finish that, you can go ahead and light yourself up a foot-long cigar. <laughs> so that's my that's my brunch pairing for this movie. That's excellent. Uh, it'll get you going in the morning. Absolutely. Yes. Which which crumbs and sugar is basically what cereal in America <laughs> yeah, is for children. Cereal is, and uh, yeah, and, and the fact that the cereal you know comes up in the course of the movie is is a bonus. Yes. I for my brunch menu, mm-hmm. I, I I I thought about it. Uh, partially in terms of what people would have actually been eating in the world of the movie, but also uh, a little bit of Cuban flavor, a uh, ah. like a Cubano sandwich, you know, basically just like yeah. a like a ham and pork sub feels yeah, like with some mustard and some yeah, pickles. Yeah, maybe yeah. throw an egg on it to make it a little brunchier. Hey, that's one better. Yeah. Sorry, this is your brunch pairing. I'll just I'll just shut up here. <laughs> no, Not trying to show off or anything. No, I I I, I welcome the uh, culinary collaboration uh, the the uh the, the florida backdrop also made me think like lobster roll or something like that like a radioactive like glowing you know mm. uh irradiated irradiated uh, uh lobster roll i guess um some yeah. sweet tea some key lime pie because they're in key west mm. Yes. Um, but also, um, you know, more likely the people in this movie would probably just be like drinking tang. Uh, so like a like a tang mimosa instead of orange juice. Ooh. Just like the fakest like TV dinner, like casserole was with mashed potatoes and green beans and like any anything like that that people don't really eat anymore. Uh, but yeah. you did in the early 60s. That sounds great. Like a hot dog and, uh, and cheese dish that you put in the oven for an hour, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. 
And I think as a shout out and tribute to the director for making a good movie, let's also just have a large popcorn with, with, with both of those uh, pairings. Cheers to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. This is uh, so, Brent. You are you are the very first uh, guest host, uh, despite Todd trying to take over the podcast at one point. Um, so, thank you for doing that, uh, and uh, we'd love to have you back. Now, I know that your your being on this cast is not entirely altruistic because because you actually have a book to plug. You've recently published a a book. This is, is true. That true. This is true. <laughs> I don't is know it, how you could true? possibly found out, but it's true. I think that's true. how all plugs, all plugs go. So you have a film in theaters coming this week. Is that true? <laughs> what? I, uh, well, yes, it's true, Andy. Uh, I Answer have, the question, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you managed to get the hot lights in here right as you asked me, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm feeling I see the sweat pooling, yeah. Uh, well, it's... Yeah. The book that I recently completed and self-published is called Screen Time, Rituals and Vocabulary of the Fanatical Moviegoer. And, exactly. <laughs> and it is just that. The 10-year the span of time that I talked about where I was working in movie theaters was a really important time in my life because it shaped who I was. And I sort of looked back on that time, had a few impressions that I wanted to get down. And as I did, it took the form of rhyming poems, which was surprising to me at first, but mm -hmm. it was also written with uh, capturing the movie going experience in mind, just, just as this movie matinee was, I thought about it like the snipe films or policy trailers that's what um you know when you go to a movie and there's all the stuff playing before the movie like the trivia or the commercials or the remove yeah, your these hats days, and commercials yes uh, all, all of that stuff uh that we watch as part of the movie going experience that isn't the movie is really interesting to me and a lot of the yeah, times i agree th they are jingles and they do rhyme and i get really into those and i just wanted to write a bunch of my Japan own has some great ones by the way oh my god i would love please please send me all the policy trailers from japan yeah i'm sure they're on youtube there's there's a there's a really good anti-piracy one that features uh people in suits wearing one guy is wearing a handheld camera like mask helmet and then the other two moviegoers are a soda and popcorn that get angry at the person who is like dancing around and, and recording. Yeah, it's pretty good. You you have to send that to me. That's yeah. that's like what I live for, basically. Okay, that's yeah. uh that'll be uh and maybe I'll put the, uh, even put a link in the description of the podcast. または、その両方が課せられます。不審な行為を見かけたら、劇場スタッフまでお知らせください。直ちに警察へ通報します。ノーモア、映画泥棒。So yeah, the the end result was this uh zine of you know, songs or poems each about a different aspect of working in the movie industry. There's one about movie theater employees. There's one about tabloids. There's one about projectionists. There's one about directors. There's one about actors and so on. And uh, together, I hope it creates a experience that lasts about the same amount of time as a movie that is all about the movies for people who love movies. And uh, you hope that it creates a big pile of cash for you. To, yes. Uh... Uh, clearly, <laughs> you know, when, when you think like, well... 
you know, what motivated uh, this self-published book of poems? Uh, the answer is clearly money. You know, you're a regular Harvey, um, the poet character from the film. Yeah, uh, exactly. So where can we where can we get this book? Is it uh, available in stores online? It is available in some better bookstores. In New York, it's at Quimby's. In Chicago, it's at Quimby's. In Los Angeles, it is Quimby's. At, yeah, uh, it's at uh, Skylight Books. It is also at other books. And I hope to... It's in Detroit as well. Yeah, in Detroit. It is available at King's Books downtown and BookBeat in Oak Park. Okay. Um, But it's also available... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, at uh, brentryu.com. That's B-R-E-N-D-T-R-I-O-U-X.com. And uh, search for Screen Time, my name. You should be able to find it. Well, I can't wait to dig into the book. I, I've, I've previewed it a bit, and uh, I think that I'm, I'm excited because Dave, as a non-reader, will uh, be able to enjoy the pictures. I, I especially like the one where you drew, drew a bunch of the different types of popcorn kernels. This is I'm, true, yeah. I, I love popcorn, uh, and I, I make it at home a lot. And I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely familiar, and my teeth are familiar with the different types of popcorn that I bite into and, and sometimes break my teeth with. Yes, so, there is a handy guide to all the different types of popcorn that you encounter as a regular moviegoer. Yeah, it's, a, it's beautiful. So, um, yeah, pick up that book, and um, maybe we'll have to come back and do uh, do some hot takes, hot cakes from, from your book, um, if, if the copies ever make it to Japan. And uh, so I just want to thank you for, for joining me here, and we'd love to have you back uh, with, with Dave on the cast. I would love to come back. This movie, uh, I'm really pleased that you liked it. There, there are just so many things in it that make me smile from a bunch of kids ch- chanting, we want Mant, we want Oh, I Mant. wanted to bring up we want Mant. Yeah, I have that in all caps here. John, you've got it like intro or like close out the thing. With well, I was thinking, I was actually going to suggest that you and I uh, end the podcast by chanting we want Mant as the, as the outro. So uh, if, if, you, if you don't have any other shout outs, we can, we can just go straight into that. Andy, we want want mant. We we want mant. Mant. We want mant. We want mant. We want. It's really hard to sync this because I, I think there's a delay on the video stream here. Uh, so yeah. Until next time, uh, when Dave will be back, maybe if marriage doesn't kill him first. Signing off. Down here looks good. Thank <laughs> you.